What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Mason Kern, joined as always by publisher Chris Cartman. Chris, ASU basketball is done. Spring football is now done. But by no means does that mean we're done working. Am I right? We're never done. And I actually really enjoy this time of year, Mason, because it allows us to really unpack um, a lot of where the rosters are at and set expectations for our audience, for what is ahead. And also, uh, we can really pour ourselves even more into the recruiting part of it, which a lot of fans really love. So, the, uh, you know, it just seems like maybe there won't be as much going on, but that's more like on the field or on the court. There's still going to be a ton going on. Right. We're staying busy. We're providing a lot of coverage. And this podcast is getting into a lot of that roster kind of analysis and, and, and taking a really deep look at a lot of these things, both in football and basketball, starting with spring football. The the 15 practice schedule concluded this past Sunday with their final practice inside Sun Devil Stadium. There were around 5,200 fans in attendance as announced by ASU. Nice to to get some fans back into the stadium and, uh, and, and viewing their final practice. Chris, I know you were in attendance at nine of the 15 practices this spring. What Just first off, what was it like for you just being back in person, being able to cover spring ball again? Well, it, it, it felt um, like the world was returning to its natural order. I would say, Mason, like uh, very awkward for me to go 50 weeks without attending any practices um, that, uh, you know, I think most people listening or our audience knows I've rarely missed a practice going back to 2005. So uh, when you spend 16 years of your life, um, you know, and, and keep in mind, you know, there's 15 spring practices. If they make a bowl, it's 15 practices. There's 30-ish preseason practices. And then all your season practices, you're literally out of practice one out of every three to four days, um, you know, on average out, out of a, a year. Um, so it, it um, and that's it's something I really enjoy. You know, it, it's, you know, being able to, it's a, it's a puzzle. It challenges your mind. You get a sort of, you know, figure out like what you think about a, a one roster compared to the next. And when you have a lot of years stacked up where you can do that, you get a sense of things, um, you know, the, 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 the feel for how talented the teams are. And the good news for ASU fans is that this was the most talented uh, uh, ASU roster in spring ball and the deepest that I've probably covered. And that includes, uh, you know, three teams that won 10 games. Uh, you know, over that span, 2007, and then uh, people remember the 2013-2014 Tagram teams. I would say in just for the spring, um, you know, and, and, and the reasons for this are that um, the super seniors happened where you had the eligibility freeze last year led to most of ASU's uh, top seniors returning to the roster this spring, uh, coupled with uh, more new uh, arriving players who are spring enrollees and participating in spring ball than probably ever before, at least equal to that number. Uh, it, that those things combined uh, with the you know four years of of Herm Edwards era sort of building uh, put ASU in a place where they had um, you know around seventy scholarship players, which is more than usual and not much roster length compared to probably usual a lot of young talent at different positions secondary uh, wide receivers 
running backs, even the offensive linemen. There's a bunch of guys who are young. Uh, you know, there's um, so I would just say that uh, you know, not just do they, not only do they have a defense that is among the most experienced, if not the most experienced in all of college football, because so many of these guys started in 2018 when they were freshmen, uh, you know, but. On top of that, they are much deeper. And then you have Jaden Daniels coming back for his third year. You have four offensive linemen. You have uh, your, your, you know, all your receivers except for Frank Darby. You didn't really play that much last year. You got your running backs. You got Curtis Hodges. They have 20 starters coming back. That almost never happens. Um, so ASU fans should feel really good about this particular uh, season and the potential uh, for ASU to to, you know, have rare accomplishments. And the fans in person got to see some of that in action during 11 on 11 at the team's final spring practice on Sunday, which again was inside Sun Devil Stadium. It was broadcast on Pac-12 Network. And granted, it, it's not full tackling and it's not the the full go. It's a thud mode uh, because they obviously want to avoid injuries and all that kind of stuff. But since you were at nine practices in person total, Chris, uh, they were rotating four media members at each session. Obviously, I'm, I'm sure you were grateful to get as many in as you did. Were what ASU fans saw on Sunday during those 11 on 11 team segments, is that representative really of, of what this team looked like during the, the rest of spring? Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, I was fortunate enough to be at nine. That was more than anybody, any other media members, actually. Um uh, so uh, I feel like I, I got a pretty good sense, you know, pr pretty close to probably what would normally be the case if I attended 15. Um, the the what some of the things that really stood out throughout the month that were also clearly apparent in the final practice, uh, the, the difficulty of throwing the ball outside the numbers against the first team defense. So Chase Lucas, he was exceptional in the spring about as good as you're ever going to see from a cornerback uh, at ASU. He's been a, a guy who really is, uh, I guess, a fifth year starter, which that never happens, right? Like only because of the COVID year. And then Jack Jones was also uh, uh, excellent throughout the spring. He did have a mental uh, assignment error that uh, contributed to the touchdown that case hatch had uh, from, from, from Jane Daniels. Um, but Outside the numbers, very, very little given up to ASU's top receivers. And, um, you know, the, the, the receivers and the passing game, that is a question mark uh, for this season that has a lot to do with how high that they ascend. Uh, we'll talk about that, I'm sure. But uh, that was pretty normal. We also saw uh, Jalen Conyers, uh, tight end uh, transfer from Oklahoma, who um, is clearly a very good athlete, was a highly regarded four-star guy, good size and all that coming out of uh, high school in Texas. Uh, he had um, two touchdowns and the, the one in the back of the end zone from, from uh, Trenton Bourget was, um, you know, a very impressive uh, pitch and catch. And we had seen that um, a, a fair amount uh, throughout the practices, the potential of Conyers to sort of elevate that pass catching capability of the tight ends and broaden out ASU's overall uh, impact. I think fans know that ASU has a very uh, potent uh, run game capability and the offensive line with those four guys back is very good. Uh, Donovan West, for the most part, I thought was really solid in, uh, in both on Sunday and throughout the spring. Occasionally, there's a couple snaps 
stops that are still kind of uh, wayward, especially kind of misses high into the right when he's like really trying to fire out and get moving lateral uh, quickly. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't really see that as being as something that's much of a concern probably, um, you know, between now and all the practices that they're going to have in August with the, the development that I saw throughout the spring. Um, and, you know, Jane Daniels clearly uh, has a much better grasp of what they're doing schematically uh, with the offense now, and he has better feel for the receivers and operationally, you know, he's sort of settling in. Uh, it is easier for a quarterback when you know you're not going to get hit, uh, which the absolute biggest no-no of the spring is, 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 is hitting the quarterback and nobody did it fortunately for uh, that individual, whoever that would have been. But, um, so, you know, th there's still questions that need to be answered about their offense, but, um, they definitely look better, a, a lot better than they did, let's say last spring. And remember ASU, uh, had a very good end of the season offensively ended up leading the PAC 12 scoring offense. And then, um, defensively, uh, the secondary is absolutely fantastic. Uh, headlined by those corners I mentioned earlier. Evan Fields was a little bit had a little bit of a, a nagging injury. He did practice uh, once in the last week or so, but uh, didn't go on Sunday because they don't really need him, and there's no reason to uh, you know risk it when he just has a something that's pretty minor. But um, the safeties uh, I thought were extremely impressive with Fields being out and how sort of shallow that they they look like they might be going into. Uh, uh, the month with, with DeAndre Pierce was excellent uh, really throughout. Uh, I thought he was one of the most consistently good performers on the whole team. Uh, and then Cam Phillips, um, you know, after a year that was, you know, uh, you know, not, not promising for him uh, after what he showed as a, as a true freshman the previous year, uh, I think he's back on the right track. That was pretty evident. Kiwan Markham, I thought, looked really good um, for the most part. And then at linebacker, um, the, the, these guys, they they know the offense. So Merlin Robertson, Darian Butler, Kyle Soley, they have a tremendous amount of experience. And so much of the success as a linebacker kind of depends on if you can identify what's going to be coming on any given play, right? And they actually can do that against ASU's offense much better than the typical uh, 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 opponent that they're going to face and go up against every single day. So there's still questions in my, in my mind about, um, like, for instance, they had they spent a lot of time last year preparing for USC. It was the first game. They're I don't think USC is quite as complicated and, and complex in some of the things that they do conceptually. But then they they struggled. The linebackers did against UCLA, where Chip Kelly can induce more mistakes from them. So there's still that question that needs to be answered: of can they be manipulated at all? Um, you know, against these better schemers, creators on the offensive side in this season coming up, I, we're not going to resolve that in the spring. Okay. But uh, they all look fit and healthy and they dialed in and they're working hard and they're being the types of examples that you need to set for the team. And so those are really good signs for ASU. And then up front, they had a lot of injuries uh, with their defensive line. You had both, uh, uh, Stefan Wright, uh, out for the whole spring. He had surgery on the other shoulder, not the one that he uh, had surgery on coming out of high school. So, so he missed the whole spring. Uh, Omar Norman Lott was sort of on and off the field. Uh, and, and Jermaine Lole 
um, uh, you know, with the passing, uh, unfortunately, of his father and brother and another family member, uh, apparently due to COVID in the off season, uh, he didn't practice at all. Now he was um, with the team for the last week or so. Looked like, you know, um, he probably needs to, uh, uh, you know, really kind of get his fitness together. I think he was a little bit heavy. Not something that is, you know, I don't think going to be a problem uh, necessarily, uh, you know, when you got a lot of months between now and August. Um, and he's obviously a great player, one of the best defensive linemen probably in the Pac-12. But those three guys not being out there, plus Tyler Johnson had knee surgery, and he was on crutches to start the spring. By the end of spring, he was off crutches, but he wasn't able to do anything. And then you had, um, I, sh- I got to interrupt myself. I, I don't, he might not have had surgery. That's presumptuous of me. He had a knee injury that led to him being on a brace and crutches. Possibly maybe he had an MCL sprain or something like that that didn't require surgery. I'm not totally sure, but he had a knee injury. And then you had Amiri Johnson, who, um, you know, he missed the whole spring because of uh, 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 surgery that he had to fix a sports hernia that was in December or January that he had the surgery. And um, that is the injury that forced him to miss last season. What happened, and we, we told our audience this in the past on, on the site, but um, he didn't fully convey kind of the, how he was feeling or whatever during the 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 quarantine and then the summer months and then when practices started he, i guess he thought that it was just toward to heal itself but it didn't and so then he couldn't play when if he had had the same surgery say after the spring when he knew that you know he had the issue he maybe could have played and certainly would have been able to be available for this year's spring ball so it's not like he's an injury prone guy he had one injury that is very common actually in sports and tends to get fixed and guys don't have a lot of problems. But uh, all this is to say that they were missing about half their defensive line. And even with that being the case, they uh, still look pretty good because Trevez Moore, the LSU transfer, uh, had some really bright moments, including he had a sack uh, against Kellen Deesh in the, the, in the scrimmage and he had another quarterback pressure. And then you had DJ Davidson and TJ uh, Pesafea out there, you know, as defensive tackles playing successfully. And Michael Matus, I think people kind of know what to expect from him. And Shannon Foreman is a veteran guy who's out there and, and uh, you know, making an impact and, and doing pretty good things, playing three tech now as opposed to defensive end because he had all those guys uh, that were hurting out. And um, Stanley Lambert look like one of the more improved guys this spring, two years plus removed now from the catastrophic knee injury that he had, retoured ACL, MCL, and other damage uh, in the knee. I think, uh, you know, Robert Rodriguez, ASU D-line coach, said that he was one of the two most improved guys in the group. So, uh, you know, the point is that when they get all these other guys back and into the fold, I think their front seven certainly will be quite deep, uh, and they – I thought we were pretty improved last season. So I, I feel like there's not really a concern with, with them. And then, um, you know, I might as well mention special teams. You have, of course, uh, one of the best punters in college football in Michael Turk. You have one of the best probably kick returners, certainly one of the best young kick returners in DJ Taylor. Um, the, the question will probably be, um, you know, what's going to happen with their field goal kicking, 
uh, Luckhurst, one of their two field goal or two returning field goal op kicking options, uh, was not. Uh, I think he had a little minor injury. He wasn't out there. And then Logan Tyler looked pretty good in the, the the Sunday practice, but was you know he finished spring on a really strong note. Earlier in the spring, uh, he he you know had some not good practices, but um, you know overall. Uh, I think that gives a pretty good sort of summation of where the roster is at. Right. A pretty comprehensive deep dive there and some good just observations, especially since you were at a majority of the practices, like you said, more than any other media member in terms of, I mean, you've said on previous podcasts about your kind of expectation and where you'll probably place ASU in terms of voting for the Pac-12 South this year. You said that you'll probably put them first for the first time in your time covering ASU is that still the case and are your experts expectations excuse me still that high yeah so um you know I haven't been voting for like the whole time that I've been covering I think I've been voting about half of the time so I don't remember exactly when I started to vote but it might have been like uh seven or eight years ago um pack 12 vote um so yes I I have not picked ASU to win the south in that span um, and this is, this is to me the the team that has the best chance of doing that. Um, it, it's going to come down, I think to ASU and USC for my vote. And, um, I'm leaning toward picking ASU. I'm, I'm not, you know, it's still some months removed, but the fact that ASU had no, no major injuries in the spring and it, it, how they looked sort of matched what I kind of expected. Um, it, you know, it, the bottom line is if we just cut right to it is that ASU should be a preseason top 25 team and ASU should have expectations of winning nine or more games with this schedule. I think the front half of the schedule is very favorable. If anything less than five and one would be a disappointing on the front half. Uh, you can build momentum. You can get some rhythm and some, you know, feeling good about some of the questions about your team. Like, your 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 passing uh, uh, potency uh, with these receivers and, and and getting things going with Jane Daniels, you can rely on your defense and your run game early, you know, and build up from there. Um, you know, the, the the team that I I've been sort of surprised with the the, the 2017 uh, that was a little bit fluky getting to 10 wins and and um, you know the the second Todd Graham 10 win season I think that was you know. I think people kind of saw that was very possible. The first one, not so much, but uh, this is the, this team I think has the best, certainly the best potential and the most realistic expectations of a potential 10 win season uh, since, since I've been doing this. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it is an exciting time if you're an ASU fan and it's a, these are indicators that what Herm Edwards has been doing and building towards um has them in a pretty good place going into the fourth year. So then what are the maybe limiting factors in your observations that you've seen that could potentially derail those aspirations if, if players or position groups don't live up to that potential? Well, I just would say that um, we need to see more from the receivers. I think that uh, it's, they, they added like five or six, four-star guys over a two class period and, um, you know, and they, and they got Brian Thompson, who's coming in as a Utah transfer, who can really take the top off the defense. 
um, one of the top big play threats in the conference. So that sort of replaces Darby. They had some injuries in the spring. Ricky Pearsall missed, you know, half of the spring. And uh, Jordan Porter was out with a concussion for for uh, a few practices. And Chad Johnson Jr., who looked improved, you know, probably not still in the top four or five, but he looked really improved before uh, he hurt his toe and they needed to have surgery. So they, there were some guys out, but uh, we still need to see that group elevate, uh, whether that is some of the older guys, uh, Pearsall, Porter, Andre Johnson, uh, or some of these second year players that I think have a high ceiling, um, Johnny, Johnny Wilson, uh, LV Bunkley Shelton. And, um, you know, even though he didn't play, couldn't play last year because the academics, uh, Elijah Badger, I think Elijah Badger has a really high ceiling. Um, but those, th- those guys, or at least some of them, they need to elevate here in the next six months. And then Jaden Daniels, uh, he needs to take a step forward, very clear step forward. I thought that, Last season, he was pretty average for what would be expected. And a lot of that, um, there was a lot of things that were uh, uh, challenges that were atypical, right? The first year of a new offense, COVID, the whole team, you know, had a COVID problem, including a bunch of the offensive players. They didn't practice for a month. And then uh, he loses the wide receiver anchor, Frank Darby against USC in the first series or whenever it was. And um, the, all the other guys were really young and that, that put an unusual amount of stuff kind of on his plate. And um, so I, I would say those things on offense defense to me, it, it comes down to are your linebackers going to play to the level of experience and talent that they have. Uh, Merlin Robertson, um, you know, I, I don't, I, I feel like he's capable of a, of a good bit more. And uh, uh, Darian Butler, uh, I think he's solid in the box and making plays coming forward in the run game. Uh, I think that Butler and Robertson are capable of being better players against the pass uh, at, at sort of that sophisticated understanding of what teams are trying to do with their route concepts and how and and being in the right place at the right time and you know getting those deflections and interceptions and very timely sort of opportunities and those key third down stops um you know when you need to make them and get off the field you know so uh, uh you know those are probably to me that the, the the questions that you have kind of going into the the, the the fall but to me that's like um you know are you going to win eight games or are you going to win nine or 10 games or maybe, maybe even more if like everything goes right and you get a little bit of luck. Um, I just, if this team only won seven or eight games, uh, you know, that, that would be a very, uh, that would be a shocking development. I, I think that that would be uh, significantly underperforming with the big caveat being, of course, uh, so long as Jaden Daniels stays healthy, like if you lose him, then, that in and of itself is a two or three or more game uh, difference to your expected outcome. Right. That would be a, a tough situation. And the backup quarterback spot still kind of under competition. Finn Collins and, and Trenton Bourget were the, the guys getting the most reps on Sunday's practice in the, in the team periods, but. And they look pretty good. And, and, and just, just to, just to interject, those guys look pretty good. 
um, you know, especially for the level of experience and or former walk-on and Borgay and Finn Collins being a true freshman who, you know, didn't look uh, uh, as out of sorts as most freshmen do when they're arriving, but it's still, you know, I think a, a pretty big gap that you would uh, right. you know, expect between uh, Daniels and whoever else would play quarterback. Right. And speaking of Collins, that kind of transitions to our next ex- uh, exciting development in the land of Sun Devil Source. Our Hot 11 is going to be coming out relatively soon. For those who are in the sanctuary tuning in for this free podcast, you know what it is for those listening and, and have never heard of the Hot 11. Well, it's players during spring ball who performed best relative to expectations. So that's not to say the best players on the team in spring ball, but rather who stood out based on what was expected of them entering spring ball and really Chris this year's hot 11 is, is pretty pretty valuable just considering we hadn't covered a practice and like you said over a 50 week period in person uh so what what can you share about about the hot 11 and maybe some of the guys who did stand out to you exactly so normally because we're never going more than several months without watching the guys um, they don't, you don't see as much of a jump or a progress, uh, than you, than I saw with some of these guys, um, this year, because I didn't see them practice for 50 weeks. You know, sometimes guys will, will uh, they'll, they'll change their bodies or maybe they will develop a, a decent amount from say April to August, but even, you know, that's, you know, whatever, that's three or four months that you don't, you know, don't see somebody at all. And this is a, you know, it was almost three times that much. So um, there were some returning players who were younger, um, who didn't play much last season on a veteran uh, team, especially their defense, who I thought really clearly are improved. And and, uh, so one of the guys who's going to be on the hot 11 for sure is is Stanley Lambert. Um, I, I mentioned him earlier, you know, people, I think we'll remember he um, blew out his knee in, in both practices in December of 2018. Uh, usually that type of injury, like even the next year, guys are not, they don't look the same. Um, so especially when you have it in, at the end of the, the, the year. So, you know, he goes through a whole year. He wasn't really ready to play. Um, then the next year, well, you know, you got a lot more sort of, uh, talent and depth built into the program and Lambert's still trying to get bigger physically and stronger and learn a lot of the techniques. Well, now I'm seeing it like he has the footwork is much better. He can play not just the pass and not just flying by people on the edge. And if he doesn't happen to get a piece of the quarterback, uh, you know, you know, running 10 yards <laughs> in the wrong direction. Now he's breaking down, he's adjusting, uh, he's able to handle the run. He's playing with a better body lean and angles and a lower center of gravity and his hands, are, you know, got a little bit more technique and, 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 uh, a sense of purpose to what he's trying to do. So, you know, you know, I, I'm not saying he's going to end up, you know, starting or even, uh, maybe being on the too deep this year, because again, everybody's pretty much back, but, uh, he's someone who at a minimum can help you maybe on third downs as a pass rusher if you want him to. Um, and then a, another guy who I thought uh, really improved because I didn't get to watch him at all in his freshman year, except for the first you know couple of weeks was Chad Johnson jr. Um, who was a four-star receiver coming out of high school, but uh, he might've been the lowest four-star out of the four guys who were 
you know, all four stars that they signed in that class, which is, you know, that never happened before. And he was, he didn't, he hardly played last season in four games, but I just saw a guy who he always kind of had a wide receiver polishing because his dad, you know, was first team all pro uh, NFL player. And so he you know, taught him a lot of sort of the more intricacies of the game that a lot of, a lot of receivers don't get when they're in high school. But what I saw is a, uh, a, a leaner, uh, uh, fitter, better athlete uh, who's now sort of able to, to uh, take better advantage of some of those, uh, those instincts and tools and understanding of the game. And, and he may or may not be able to puncture that top four or five uh, receiver uh, core that they will probably end up having this year, or maybe even six. But I think that uh, he looks like a guy who has a chance to play uh, in the Pac-12 for multiple years if he continues to work and develop and progress. So those are two returning guys. And then Finn Collins, I said it you know, kind of earlier, um, a lot of freshmen, they come in and it, it's so fast and there's so much put upon them that they can't process it all and then go out there and execute. And it looks sort of clumsy, clumsy uh, discombobulated, uh, even good quarterbacks, really. And Finn Collins was smooth. Like there was not much of that. So very clearly it tells you he's a quick thinker, a quick processor of information. And also uh, he has good physical tools to match that because he has a, a better arm than average. He's more accurate than average. His, uh, his delivery mechanics are better than average. Uh, uh, and so you kind of pair that up and you go, oh, this guy, you know, probably maybe even should have been recruited at a higher level and he looks pretty promising. Um, so that's a very good sign. Um, you know, especially because they didn't take quarterback for a class or two. And then Dalen McLemore, who's a year class older, seems more of a developmental prospect and he's not as far, far along for his class, I would say, uh, relative to average. So that's a pretty important development, especially if ASU goes out and lights the world on fire this year and Jaden Daniels decides, Hey, you know, like I did it at the highest level and maybe it's time for me to move on. I don't know, you know, how much of a possibility that is or isn't, but you always want to kind of be ready. Right. And then another newcomer, um, is, uh, defense and that's Eric Gentry. And, um, I just have to say, I've been talking about this a lot on the site. So members, you know, who, you know, consume all of our stuff will, will already know where I'm going, but uh, this is probably the most underrated defensive prospect that I've seen coming out of high school to sign with ASU in some years. He was ranked in the seven hundreds as a national prospect. But when I watch him in practice, uh, uh, I think that he's clearly um, got a much higher ceiling than, 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 uh, it was appreciated by 24 seven, our network and, and other analysts who do this stuff, you know, for a living, um, to me, he very rare, uh, very, he's six, six, he's skinny, 200 pounds. He's going to have to add a lot of weight, 30, 40, 50 pounds, uh, at least, uh, I would say 30 to 40 pounds at least. Um, but he moves, he's very graceful and he bends and moves really well for a guy with his size. He's quick. Uh, he's nimble. 
He has, he also is tough and tough minded and he has a good work ethic and a passion for the game. I think very even keeled demeanor. So his ceiling, I'm just going to throw this out there, uh, is in my opinion, higher than any linebacker prospect, you know, ranked as a linebacker coming out of high school than anybody at ASU since Von Tesperfect. Um, and that's the highest ranked guy to ever sign with ASU. You know, of course we know Vontez had his innumerable, you know, problems that prevented right. him probably from uh, achieving to his potential, even though he was, you know, basically an all pro, I think one year maybe, but, um, but Gentry is, I hesitate to use this word, but there is a special quote unquote uh, uh, um, potential to him that there's just not very many guys in any recruiting class that have this sort of a profile. And so if people see some flashes this year, despite him being really undersized, um, and then they get a sense of, oh, this guy might, he might have the it factor projecting into the next few years. Uh, don't be surprised at all. Well, Chris is dropping straight knowledge on you guys right now. That's four. That's four. Four, four of the our coming hot 11. So yes. Seven left for. So how do you team. not, if you, how do you not want to know the others, right? How do you not want to know the other seven and what we have to say about them? And that's just like a microcosm of the stuff that we do on the site. We've converted a lot of our, you know, people who are regular listeners of our free podcast to the VIP uh, uh, product that we have and, and our and premium members. And this is a good year to do that. Very good year, both in terms of expectations for the team, as well as our offseason coverage, which which Chris mentioned, it's going to be vast. And you guys are going to want to be in the Devil's Sanctuary and reading and, and guessing on the, the remaining seven Hot 11 guys, but so much more, including we're going to be having our roster grades where we grade every scholarship player at every position in terms of their readiness to play in the Pac-12 right now, as well as their potential. That'll be coming in the next few weeks and months. And then Chris will also be rolling out our recruiting big board here pretty soon. So a lot of exciting Ooh. things for listeners to, to get into. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah. Like you want to know, like how good are these players and what's happening in recruiting? And we, what, what we do is like a lot of people, they think, think they can follow this stuff on social media and it, you just, you're, you're getting a fraction of what it really is. It's not our, even a crumb. It's, yeah, exactly. Like people on the, in the sanctuary, they like know who's going to commit and when you know, often way ahead of time, we put out crystal balls. They, you know, it's pretty much, if you get a crystal ball from me, like you're going to end up committing to ASU. We even put our interns lives on the line sometimes at some of these things. And I don't want to lose you. Mason, I'm still you know? standing. I'm still yeah. standing. Yeah. So, you know, um, was that an Elton John song? I mean, we, we really, we could use some sound effects on some of these things. Uh, like, um, you know, but, but uh, yeah. That'll be a and call then, for production. Yeah, I mean, we're maybe not, you know, going to put the time in for that. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be really cool. And also, I just want to say, in in March, you know, this is the last day of March as we're recording this, uh, we added more subscribers this March than any year that I've done this since the first year that I moved over from Rivals to Scout, which, you know, is an unusual, abnormal thing. Like, we added tons of subscribers that year. But, like, for the first non 
something like that, this was the most that we've ever uh, added. And also we have currently have more subscribers on the website than any point in history and not just any point in history, but any ASU site ever. Uh, and, and, and we had the most traffic for a month of March, the most uh, unique visitors, the most uh, message board views, everything. So it, it really sort of tells you just how engaged that fans are right now and you know, how hopeful that they are that this season can, uh, you know, can, can elevate ASU standing as a football program. And, and uh, you know, people are paying attention, I think, to basketball really closely. Pardon me, really closely as well as we're about to get into. Yes, we are. The, first of all, the Devil Sanctuary is jumping. So if you're not involved already, make sure you get in there and and subscribe. Because, right, we're talking about football and, and all the potential success of this year's team. But there's still some stuff happening with basketball, too. And you mentioned it, Chris. People, people are Song? still very, very oh interested God. in the basketball team. And it started, obviously, back when the season ended. And Bobby Hurley kind of ended the season by saying, I need guys that, that – want to go to war with me and that I want to go to war with. And then we saw Tayshawn Cherry enter the transfer portal. We saw Jalen House enter the transfer portal. That might have been a little more unexpected, but, I mean, we've kind of touched on that in previous podcasts. Um, the, the secondary market was going to be huge in, in spring basketball recruiting, and we've seen Hurley and ASU really attack it hard with several new additions. Two transfers, I'll just get started first from A.J. Brahma, from Robert Morris. They also picked up Boston College guard Jay Heath. He was the leading scorer for, for Boston College last season. And then reclassifying uh, – a great prospect, honestly, and Enoch Boache. He was 2022 center, one of the top-ranked players at his position. Not only does he commit to ASU, but he also reclassifies to the class of 2021. Chris, I know we're going to get into all of this in depth a little bit more, but as it currently stands right now, how does the roster fare in terms of upgrades, and and how does it compare to last year? Yeah, Bobby Hurley had himself um, a pretty impressive 72-hour period because those three guys you mentioned, it was one after another three right. days in a row. Uh, it started with Boache, and um, that's the highest-ranked center prospect out of high school to ever commit to ASU. Right, and number and, seven, the number seven, regardless of position, uh, prospect of all time. Right, and... And remember, of course, a a ASU fans have been like, um, you know, like it's like walking across the desert, uh, the Arizona desert with no water, uh, looking for a center prospect, right? Over the last few years, uh, there's just been a, you know, a, a lack of size on the roster or enough size on the Especially roster. Especially last season. I mean, honestly. Yeah. Well, yeah, but uh, I, it, it, I mean, Romello White was like a dude. But it was like, okay, well, who are your other options at times, you know, else if you want to go really big or you got Romano White in foul trouble, you know, and then this year was a major problem because Jalen Graham, he just wasn't as ready after they had, you know, White had transferred, you know, point though is that um, Boache, even though he is like a, the number 32, I think, prospect in the country on um, the composite, which is the, the average industry average and uh, number 20 was a five star, uh, by as evaluated by 24 seven sports. I think he might be underrated. I'm just like kind of whispering that a little bit quieter. Um, I, I, I said on our board, like I haven't seen 
a big man prospect that I thought was as good of a professional prospect um, that ASU has taken the commitment from in since I've been doing this certainly and probably a lot longer than that. I, I really honestly think that you probably have to go back 40 years uh, to get to the type of professional prospect that Boache is at ASU. Like, I think he should be a first round pick. I, I, I think he's um, exactly the type of guy as a, whatever he is, 18 years old, 17 years old, <coughs> pardon me. Um, that, you know, that that's what NBA teams are looking for. He's a two end player. He runs the floor. Well, he's a seven foot plus wingspan guy. He blocks shots. Uh, you know, he's a very good athlete. He is extraordinarily skilled. Like he can rip a rebound and he can take the ball coast to coast and score it off, off the dribble. Uh, he has, you know, some pretty developed post moves, has a lot of composure in executing a lot of it. He needs to work on his shot more. I think if his shot and his mechanics look fine to me, but if his, if his shot comes along to where he's, you know, making, uh, you know, mid range and then eventually stepping out even beyond that, Duke can make a lot of money uh, playing basketball, like many millions of dollars. Like that's the, that's the potential here. And ASU's had some really good uh, um, uh, players, you know, uh, Jeff Ayers, uh, you know, Pendergraph when he was at ASU was a really good college player. Ike Diagu, probably the guy that I personally uh, appreciated his game more than like any post player at ASU in recent years. I mean, he was unstoppable, but he didn't have a high pro ceiling as 6'8", 250, um, and not a very good defensive player. And, and um, you know, Mario Bennett probably is the best. Uh, you know, he had the knee injury, which sort of, you know, hurt his athleticism some um, a couple years in at ASU. But if you go like through my time of really closely following ASU, which is like 30-ish years uh, almost, um, you know, I, I, man, I really think that Bawachi is the best pro prospect, okay? And so then um, on top of that, as you mentioned, you add A.J. Brahma from Boston, I mean, from uh, Robert Morris. He was a 2010 guy last year. And he's, you know, I don't think he's, you know, at this, at the Pac-12 level, I think he's more probably like an average Pac-12 forward, but an average Pac-12 forward when you also have Jalen Graham and Bawachi and this guy's average, but average who has played successfully in college for, you know, a couple of years, that's pretty good. You know, he's six, seven and he uh, hits the glass and he's smart. And he knows how to score the ball, um, you know, creatively. Well, that's that's pretty good. Uh, and then, um, you know, you mentioned the guard that they signed, Jay Heath. Uh, Boston College was downright terrible uh, the last couple of years, fired their coach. And Heath, you know, wasn't the most efficient offensive player, but, you know, he was uh, one of the top, I think, 12 or so scorers in the ACC not not uh, easy to do, and he's got good size as a six three guard and versatility. Can play on or off the ball, um, so that supplements uh, in a great way. Maybe even he he's probably starts um, when you have you know um, two guys only coming back who are really true guards that have showed they can play at this level. 
in Holland Woods and Luther Muhammad, the Ohio State transfer who sat out last year. And I think he was like an eight or nine point scorer at Ohio State. But if if Luther Muhammad and and uh, and Holland Woods are, let's say, average or above average, maybe a little bit Pac-12 players, Jay Heath above average, maybe Pac-12 player coming back. And then you have all these other pieces in what is a definitely a front court that has a lot more, well, it has a some uh, bit more, maybe potentially a lot more size, uh, depending on what happens with a couple other roster uh, uh, possibilities. Um, man, like they... You know, they reloaded the roster, and I think better than uh, better than a bunch of ASU fans expected, certainly. And, um, and remember, Mason, uh, it fans they they tend to get very focused on their team, and so people saw okay, ASU had a disappointing season, and uh, then there was you know Cherry and and House to the portal, and they go, oh, Bobby Hurdle, not for long at ASU, like he's gonna leave, whatever. Well. The reality is there's over a thousand people in the transfer portal. It might even be 1100. Okay. And there's what is like 360 or something basketball teams. Okay. I'm not good at math really. So don't hold this against me, <laughs> but you're like, we're trending toward maybe three transfers by the time we're done, three transfers, transfer portal guys per team, certainly way more than two. We're already way more than two. Um, and so so the point is, is that, and this happens with good teams and bad teams, all right? Really good example is Colorado is losing one of their most promising big men. And that they were in a tournament team and they're really successful. You know, um, everybody, you know, not everybody, but just it's, it's, it's pervasively the case that... Uh, college kids you know young this kind of generation they don't have the same attachment to their current situation or surroundings they're a lot more willing to kind of move and be mobile and and seek out other opportunities and things and you know maybe it's sometimes um you know overly ambitious and too much the grass is always greener uh but it's like jalen house probably I don't think he should be playing a lot, like 30 minutes on a really good Pac-12 team. Okay, full stop. But he looks at what happened last year and how they did better maybe when he was playing more later as like the evidence that he should have been playing more than um, whoever, Alonzo Verge or you know Josh Christopher or something. And you can make a really good case that Alonzo Verge, you know, maybe – was taking too many shots and the ball was in his hands too much and all that. I, I don't even disagree necessarily with that, but I don't think that, I don't think the solution was a lot more of the ball in Jalen house's hands. Okay. But that's, that's the way that these kids are. I, one of my, I don't want to say the school. Okay. But one of my friends is a, uh, you know, a, a middle of the pack, a mid, mid, mid major coach, head coach. Okay. And, um, he might have one or two pros on his roster on average. Okay. A guy like this. And when, uh, you know, when he got to the school, this was not in the last year or whatever, but when he got to the school, he asked the guys, uh, how many of you think that you can play in the NBA? 
hey, Mason, what, how many people do you think raised their hands? Probably all of them. They all did. Okay. They all raised their hands. Yeah, I'm an NBA player. Right? Well, no, you're none of, almost none of you are NBA players. And we don't want to like, you know, step on your dreams or whatever. But, you, but what happens is when you're the best player at your high school and you're the best player in your county and you're the best player on your AAU team and then all these coaches who are recruiting you to get you to come to their school tell you you're the best thing since sliced bread, right? Your expectations can get out of, out of whack. And you can think that you're a lot more and everybody is, is, you know, telling you what they, you know, they have their own agendas, right? So you get these sycophant people around you like, though, you're amazing, blah, blah, whatever. And then, and then, and then they all want you to go to the highest level because that helps them for whatever reason. And, and so you end up with this really dysfunctional thing that happens. Okay. And, 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 and I think what's important to the way we frame it, that this, that's really important is everybody watched March Madness. Okay. Is Oregon state more talented quote unquote than ASU or half the other teams in the PAC 12? Not, not rhetorical. What do you think, Mason? In terms of pure talent? No, they're not more talented. Okay. But they're a better team because they buy in, they're coached well, they execute what's, what's asked of them. They understand their roles. They got into a hot rhythm and they played really, really at a, at a high level and college basketball, the, the, the gap has shrunk between the elite teams and the good teams that can beat the elite teams in games. That gap has shrunk. And so the, the, the biggest challenge for a Bobby Hurley or anyone is actually what he said after the season ended about going to war with the right people that you alluded to earlier, okay? Because if you get the right people who buy in and do everything that's asked of them, that creates a, a whole that's greater than the sum is greater than the parts. Okay. That's what can happen. That didn't happen at ASU this past season. Actually the opposite happened and they had a lot of other problems, of course, you know, with COVID and injuries and, and, and whatnot, but they never, the, the ingredients never marinated. Okay because of all the problems they had. And, but yet remember when ASU went, whatever it was, they were the last undefeated team in the first guard U year a few years ago, Shannon Evans and Cody Justice and Trey Holder, 14 wins or whatever it was in December. That was the opposite. That was the parts not being as good as what the actual results were. And then they petered out a little bit when uh, you know they didn't have as much size and them not having as much size caused some challenges and limitations to their team in the Pac-12 schedule and they, and they, they weren't able to sustain it. So, um, you know, but what I'm saying here is that it can look like you're, you know, not trending in a really good place or a good way. And then all of a sudden, boom, you get all the USC got a bunch of transfers, right? Of course they got Evan Mobley, you know, I think he's amazing, probably the best, high school American big prospect, in my opinion, since, since Anthony Davis and everybody, you know, kind of knows that, but they also got 
three or four high impact division one transfers, including their second best player. And that was essential. It was a, a requirement in their ability to make it to the uh, elite eight this year uh, and have the type of team that they did. So there's a lot of more things that Bobby Hurley has to do to be successful. And there's still lots of things that he has to work on from a coaching and schematic standpoint, in my opinion. Um, You know, but I, but I think it's clear that he has a knack for assembling rosters, right? Who has recruited anywhere close to Hurley, especially when you factor in the transfers and not just these guys, but also the guys that have come before, like Zylan Cheatham and Rob Edwards, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And I, my knowledge of ASU basketball is limited in that regard, but no, but I mean, Hurley's recruiting has been pretty stellar over the last few years and people were questioning this current class, obviously the 2021 class, mm-hmm. just in terms of rankings wise, because as it currently sits without Bawache, because at least in the 24 seven team rankings, he hasn't been moved to the 2021 class yet, but they're right around top 50. They're at 46 nationally and seventh in the pack 12 with three Where guys. Would they who be are if you added him though? Right. We, we will add him and that that'll end up getting recalculated obviously, but well, before I, I don't know, I don't know how that actually works from rankings purposes. Cause ASU hasn't had a reclassification guy. So I don't want to say that, but, 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 if you just took his points in the cal- class calculator, which people can fiddle with right. under the basketball recruiting dropdown menu on the site, is another tool that we have. He he would improve ASU to somewhere in the twenties, probably right. And- right, it would be a significant jump. And uh, and so before Bawache, with the four guys they have either signed or committed right now, there were questions. And and I think that goes to your point, Chris, about questions about Hurley potentially mailing it in and and then trying to rely on the Josh Christopher and the Marcus Bagley and having a really successful year, and then maybe that parlaying into a new job. And then obviously it w- that that it wasn't the case this year. And uh, to your point, though, but you can't, but you can't like just assume that you're going to get another really good job. So, and you can't assume that even after a season that, Oh, you're just greased to go to some other place. Clearly that wasn't the case at all. Correct. Right. So that, so it makes, it makes the people who were like, Oh, this, these are the signs. Yeah. Like that doesn't uh, clearly you were wrong. Like if that, if that's what you were thinking. Right. And he wouldn't bring in a guy like Bawache and some of these transfer guys. If he wouldn't have done all these things, none of this would have happened. Right. So I I think the But the freshman that you said, uh, you know, who looked like an underwhelming class and people noticed this, right. Cause they have no top 150 guys out of their four other guys, Damari Williams, Justin Roshlin, Jemiah Neal, uh, they're all guards to wings, and then William Felton, who's you know, uh, you know, six eight two forty or whatever. But um, you know, people are like, oh, well, they're they're not reloading like with the same caliber. Well, uh, it looks a little bit different now, right? When you got Bawache and you got these transfers, and um, but again, if if these guys are like the Oregon's, these freshmen, I mean if they're like the Oregon state complementary pieces to an Ethan Thompson. Okay. Or they're like, um, you know, some of these guys that transferred in at USC or some of these down roster guys that UCLA has used after a couple of their starters got hurt and, and were out then, you know, and, and, and that's, that's where, in my opinion, a lot of the secret sauce is it's finding the, the really, really high-profile, high-end guys like an Evan uh, Mobley 
or like a buache, and then figuring out how to complement them with the right people kind of around them. And I think like it's at least clear that's what Bobby Hurley is trying to do right now. Right. And we haven't even touched on in terms of the rest of the roster, the potential of Marcus Bagley maybe coming back, Kamani Lawrence maybe coming back. He posted on his Instagram story, kind of teasing the idea. Where where does that stand? Uh, both of those things are still possibilities. Uh, it, I'm hearing not, and I'm not saying like, you know, they're major long shots. Like if those things happen, it wouldn't really be a surprise. Bagley's evaluating his draft stock. Uh, there's a range, I think, you know, between late first, you know, maybe pushing into the very end of the lottery at very best, but probably more like late first twenties to 30. And then all the way down to maybe where he's at the top end of the second round. And if you don't have confidence that you're going to be a first rounder, uh, you don't have financial reasons to need to leave. And you think that another year can help you push up 10, 20 spots. Oh, well, there's a, good reason why you might want to come back and Kamani Lawrence. I mean, we saw like he started to get it together and his pro prospects overseas probably aren't really great right now. I think he's, he can go play somewhere and make, and and make a living, but maybe with another year of college, he could increase his potential earnings out of college by maybe doubling them. You know, maybe now he's a guy who can make a few hundred thousand dollars a year out of college versus you know, half that or less. And so um, that's what these guys are sort of evaluating. I don't think it's going to take months. I think it's going to probably only take a matter of weeks um, at most for them to, to, to come to the conclusions. And we know that Lawrence got injured in the team's last game. Do you have an update on that, his status there? Well, the only thing I heard is that it wasn't anything serious. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, he may be out for a, a small amount of time or whatever, but it's not something that's going to cause him any sort of longer term uh, problems, what I was told. Well, there you go. I mean, that's a pretty comprehensive breakdown of both your football and basketball rosters and the situations for both as we project ahead to their respective seasons. Chris, before we wrap this thing up, you got any final thoughts? Well, every once in a while, we give our free audience a little bit more, right? This was one of those times. (laughs) Correct. And, you know, we haven't done a lot of free podcasts that are like this in recent months, but I just sort of want to let people know we do this stuff all the time on the premium and we do this stuff every single day with the biggest number of ASU fans that assemble in any uh, behind a paywall place, much better than a Facebook or group or, you know, free boards or Twitter or whatever, those are just like terrible compared to what we have in our community. And so if you like this kind of stuff and it hits your sweet spot, come on in, you know, go to sundevilsource.com. Very easy to find, you know, the subscription buttons and, and, and we'd love to have you. And there's, like I said, more people uh, than any previous March. And we're looking to try to continue that into the, the, the spring and beyond. Once again, Devil Sanctuary is jumping. Make sure you're uh, you're getting in there and subscribing and getting all the content that Cartman and the, the Sun Devil Source team are providing. But for now, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. For publisher Chris Cartman, I'm your host, Mason Kern, saying so long. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.